All right, you guys want to open your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. This is a very familiar scripture. You guys will know this one. Um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, so you might got, have a um, little bit different translation. I heard, I saw this joke this week, and it was great, and it says the a KJV uh, pastor got infected with the NIV. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was really, yeah. I didn't think that one up. I just saw that. I just saw that. So can't blame me for that one. So Luke eleven nine says, that, And I tell you, and it will be given to, given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So I've got a little bit of a, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, so, this started in the uh, late 30s, 19, uh, 1930s, uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there was a, um, a young man. And this, this was a story that I had read before this movie came out. And I had heard about him and, and heard about his life. But his name was Desmond Dawes. And you guys may have seen this movie. We've, I, I've watched this movie three times, uh, actually five times now. And I, can't, I watch it over and over again. Um, his name was Desmond Dawes, and he was a uh, U.S. soldier in 1945 in Okinawa. And um, you guys may have seen the movie. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, it's an amazing movie of self-sacrifice and laying his life down for the people around him. And so Desmond Dawes was a conscientious, conscientious objector. And if you guys don't know what that means, that may, basically means they will not fight. They will not pick up a weapon. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, so most Seventh-day Adventists are, um, uh, they do not own firearms, they do not own weapons, because that's what they feel like is violence. So he was a conscientious objector, and he went through months of torment and uh, abuse by the, um, the army. They basically, um, there's a lot of different things that they did, and you know, the movie is, we're all, most of us are adults here, so watch the movie. Please watch the movie. It will give you just a general idea of what's going on. But he was abused by his um, fellow soldiers, by his um, commanding officers, by the, the military itself. And he was beat, and he was basically um, tormented for the, the amount of time that he was in um, basic training. But... As it went on, they allowed him, because a law that had passed in 1940, allowed conscientious objectors to serve, and he served as a combat medic. So in 1945, he went to Okinawa. So they were going up to, and if anybody knows about history of, of World War II, Okinawa was one of the worst battles, one of the worst areas for people to, um, to have been put in that situation, in that battle zone, was one of the worst. So in the middle of this, we, uh, you have to understand this, the enemy was entrenched, the Japanese were entrenched, and we're not talking entrenched like little trenches. They were literally built caves where they lived in. So these soldiers were having to push up this hill, climb up this hill, and then push forward towards the, um, to the end where they had their, their objective point. And so in the middle of this, we're talking days. We're not talking, we're not talking a couple hours. We're talking days and weeks to, get to, to move forward on this. And so what happened was is this. They were moving forward, and then um, they did a— basically, I mean, this is just from the movie. I don't know how 
particular it was in the actual setting, but the, the Japanese did a full charge. And we're not talking just blazing guns, we're talking all of them running out and, and attacking physically. Um, and so in the middle of a full retreat, he, he is carrying one of his wounded um, soldiers with him and they're all going down the hill. And while he's going down, they are um, shelling them from the ships out in the ocean and they're tr shooting over them. So in the middle of this, he's carrying his friend and he drops his friend, but Desmond decides to stay on the hill. And so Sarah, would you get the lights and Donis, I want you to play this. I got this minute and a half clip I want you guys to watch and then we'll go from there. Wow. Um, gets you. It makes you think about, you know, uh, I was watching um, this documentary and this old uh, soldier, he said, you know, in 1940, for 1940 to 1945, he goes, that's when boys were men. They were forced to become men. And um, after watching this, that scene right there w was key because I think, I think we're all at that moment at one point of our life. It's like, what do you want of me? I can't hear you. And so he's, he's talking to God. He's like, you called me to do this. You asked me to do this. He, he chose to go into battle. He chose to become a medic because I don't want to take life, but I want to save life. And so in the midst of a full retreat, he decides to put his hat back, his helmet back on and walk back into it. So, but what did he hear? He goes, I can't hear you. But what did he hear? He heard his neighbor. He heard his comrade. He heard his fellow soldier say, medic. And then, you got to understand, it wasn't just, you know, um, people shooting. It was, this was 30 minutes. This is shells going off that would destroy a building, and he runs back into it. So I'm going to read you a little bit of this. It says, under a barrage of gunfire and explosions, Doss crawled around the ground for, for the wounded soldiers, from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He dragged severely injured men to the edge of the ridge and tied a rope around their bodies and lowered them down to the medics below. You know, I, I read this and I, and I watch this and it makes me think. We're selfish by nature. We're selfish by nature. When we see something bad, we want to avoid it. We run from what is bad and what is dangerous and what can affect whatever we've got going on. Whatever, you know, it's like, oh, this is bad and this is going on and someone's being affected by this. But if I get involved in this, it's going to affect my whole situation and I'm liking my situation right now. We are selfish by nature, but Jesus called us to lay our lives down. Not our will, not our wants, not our desires, but his will be done. So Desmond Doss was someone who was uncommon for that time. He was a person who 
wasn't willing to pick up a weapon and fight against the people who killed his fellow soldiers. And in the article and the, the documentaries about his life, he always said this. He goes, the entire time I was crawling around the ground, I was saying, God, give me one more. Lord, please give me one more. So Desmond Doss saved 75 men, including his captain, Jack Glover, over a 12-hour period. The same soldiers, soldiers who had shamed him now praised him. He was one of the bravest persons alive, Glover said. And then to have him end up saving my life was the irony of the whole thing. His captain was the one who turned on him when he first showed up because he wouldn't pick up that rifle. He wouldn't, but he said, I'm here to save life. I'm here to, to help my fellow soldiers. And the great part of it is this. There was a, something said about him and he said, one of the fellow soldiers said, it was funny if it was like God had his hand on his shoulder the entire time. And, and I, I look at that and we, we look at our lives and he was willing to, he could have climbed down, he could have been safe, he could have went back and he could have been safe, but he picked up his own cross. He picked up his own life and said, it's willing to be laid down for the person who is out there that needs me more than I need to go down that hill. You know, we, we look at our lives and are we willing to give up that, that comfort, that little slice of this is okay and I'm willing to, to be this. I have enough money. I'm okay. I can pay all my bills and that's great. But are you willing to sacrifice something for, for the, the good of another person around you? Are you willing to give up your comfort and life to reach people for Jesus? Are we willing to give up just that, those moments that we, oh, I'm busy and I don't have time for this. I'm in the store and I really can't, I've got to do this. And then we're like, well, I just don't hear from God. I don't know where God wants me to minister. They're calling out for medic. They're calling out, hey, they say hi to you when you walk by them in the store. But what they're really calling out for is a medic. They're looking for someone who can save them. They're looking for someone who can bring them out of what they are in. Are we willing to love people enough to say, God, just give me one more. Give me one more. Give me one more person that I can talk to you. Or I can talk about them. And, and we can have that conversation of what Jesus is doing. You know, we, 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 we like our comfort. We like this church. We like to be in our seats. We like to sit with the, the people we like to sit with. But Jesus never called us to do that. He called us to be uncomfortable and to get up and to, to bear our own cross and to carry it and to lay our life down for him so that other people may know him. But we, we, we think, well, I'm laying down my life because I get up early on a Sunday and I help set up things. That is not laying your life down. I'm sorry. That's being helpful. Being helpful and laying your life down are two different things. 
laying your life down. It hurts. It causes uncomfort, uncomfort um, in our lives. It causes pain. It causes sorrow in our life to, to lay down our lives. It's, it's, it sucks sometimes. But are we willing to do it? Are we willing to say, you know what, I'm going to give up what I want because God is asking me to do this. Am I willing to give up what I want, my time, my life, my family, my finances, because God is asking me to find one more? I think that should be every one of our prayer. God, give me one more. Give me one more person, even if it's not to witness them, it's just to encourage them that God loves them and that God has a plan for them, even though, though they may not understand it. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. That's, to do that, it has to, we have to give up something to do that. We have to give up. We get really uncomfortable when people ask us to be uncomfortable. Well, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. It's not comfortable for me. And my phrase to them would be, suck it up, Nancy, let's do it. It's not comfortable to step out and to do things that God is asking you to do that are not part of your normal routine. Am I right? Jesus also said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. So, to give up oneself, to give up one's life for the service of the kingdom, that was considered an honor. Knights would give up their life because when they knew when they died in the service of their king, it was an honor. But now it's like, well, no, you can't make me do that. That's just not comfortable. It's not what I want. To give up oneself, to give up one's life for, for the king of, kingdom of God is to honor the king of kings. And I'm not saying you have to die. I'm just saying, what do we do? We get selfish with the, the things that we want. Well, I've, you know, I've got I've to get my new refrigerator. Do we need a new refrigerator? Probably not. But does my wife want one? Yes, absolutely. I will probably get talked to after this about that. So, um, okay. What happens is, is this, is we become, we become so self-sufficient in what we have. We give up, we, we don't have to give up anything. Well, I, I've, I've got a, a great new job and I've got uh, raises and I've got a great family and I've got those things. But God's like, well, you know, that's what I've given you to give away. Don't give your children away. Please keep your children. Don't give them away. 
but God has given you your family and, and your finances and everything you have to be given away, to minister to people, to give of your life and of yourself to other people. It ha- you know, like when my kids were little, we, di- we didn't have to give our lives away. We didn't have to have people showing up at our house and, and we'd wake up in the morning there's somebody sleeping in our entryway. We didn't have to do that, but we did because we knew it needed to be done. It, sacrifice is never easy and never, it's never convenient. Oh, I just had to sacrifice, but it was so easy and it was just, just worked so well with, with my schedule. No, it doesn't work that way. Sacrifice is, uh, is uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and it never works the way you want it to work. Sacrificing of one's life of, of what we have and what we, uh, God has given us is a requirement. He asks us to, hey, I give you this, give back. You know, it's like, well, tithe. Well, you know, that's my money. I made it. Who gave you your job? These are my kids and I love them and no one, no one can spend time with them. Who gave you your kids? Our kids, uh, it, it talks about our children should be like arrows in a quiver. They're not, they're not meant to sit there. Arrows are not meant to sit there. They're meant to be used. Our, our, our finances are meant to be used. Our finances are supposed to be laid down at the, fee, uh, at the altar. Yes, we don't have an altar where we come and we throw our dollars on and we burn them up. It's not that way. We don't have that sacrifice like we did in the Old Testament. But what we have is the altar of the kingdom when we say, this is yours. I'm, I'm laying my life, I'm laying what I have down at the feet of Jesus, and he can do with it as he pleases. You know, I, I watched that movie, and you cannot watch that minute and a half movie without being moved. But you watch the rest of it. And there is no way you can look and say, without any kind of conviction in your heart that John fifteen thirteen didn't live inside of him. Greater love that has no man than a man laid down his life for his friends. The fact that he could have moved away down the hill, climbed to safety and been there, but he didn't because he knew that there was something more valuable. He knew that there was a mission and there was a calling on his life. He said, God called me to save life. I think that's kind of all of our all of our mission is to, is, is to call to save life. And he chose to, to go back into it for 12 hours, saving people that most people would go, oh no, they're not going to make it. And why do we bypass that? We do the same thing as those people would, oh, well, you know, they just don't, they don't fit into what my plan of what God's kingdom looks like. My idea of what God's kingdom looks like is this. And I'm just going to tell God what, that they don't really fit because this is not my design of your kingdom. That sounds stupid? Yeah, because it is. But we do that. We bypass people. Oh, they, left for dead. Uh, they're not going to make it. I don't know if they're going to make it by the time I get them back. But it's not our call. That's his call. That's not our call. Say, you know, they're just not going to fit. You ever looked at church? It's a bunch of freaks, geeks, and weirdos. I'm just saying. And if you don't think you're one of those, you're one of those, because everybody's one of those. God did not assemble a group of highly refined men in the disciples. 
He didn't, get, he didn't look for scholars and all these, these well-spoken men. He picked the, the, the least of the least to be part of what he was doing, and God still does that today. He finds people that don't have a place and don't have a home and don't matter to people, and he says, you know what? You matter to me. I think you're going to make it. And he says, you know what? I have a place for you. So when that, that man ran back into 12 hours of crawling through trenches and bringing people out of it. There's something to be said for the heart of that man, that he cared enough to risk his own life, his own well-being, his own family, to bring people back. He willingly put himself in the face of death and said, I'm willing to do this. That, that scene, he said, I can't hear you. What do you want from me? We come to that crossroads in our lives. What? I can't hear you. What do you want from me? Maybe not that extreme of situation, but there's times where we're just like, God, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? I can't hear what you're saying. But the world screams out for someone to save them. If you don't know what God is telling you to do and you can't hear what he's telling you to do, walk through Walmart, walk through a store, and you will see what God is asking you to do. You will see what he's calling you to do. You will see those people that need him, that need a savior, they need to come into his family. You will see people on their way to hell because they don't know that there's a savior that loves them. You know, we look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? He willingly sacrificed himself. He ran into death for us. You know, there's a, they talk about the World War II generation as the greatest generation. I have to agree. Because those people, those men, those people, those women, they literally gave up their entire lives because of what had happened. You know, they willingly went to death because they needed to defend their nation. And I look at it, and, but we're, we're so willing to come to church, and we're so willing to sing, and we're so willing to, you know, fellowship, but are we, when it comes to the other part of the kingdom, when it comes to the, the warring type part of, of the kingdom of God, we just like, oh, I don't know about that. It's really, it's kind of hard. You know, you want me to pray for an hour? Oh, that's really going to suck. I got to give up an hour. But the thing about that, there was something in that greatest generation that had a mental fortitude of you're not going to stop us and we're going to push on. But this generation is like, oh, 10 minutes? Are we done yet? Matt's still going, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> oh, we went five minutes over in church, and we're just like so upset about it. People are like, I need that hour. Just at, at, a, you know, at 11.59, we started at 11, and at 11.59, we're, we're closing it because I've got to get out to my, my Sunday lunch. God never designed his people to be like that. He designed his people 
to be the greatest generation, to be that people that would push on through the the face of adversity. But we give up when things get tough. We give up and we complain and we're like, God, where are you? And we throw a fit and we lay on the ground and we throw a little baby temper tantrum. Yeah. (laughs) And then God's looking at us like, I didn't raise you to be this way. You ever said that to your children? I did not raise you to be this way. Yes, I've said that to my kids. God did not raise us to be that way. He did not deliver us. He did not heal us to be that way. He he delivered us. He he healed us. He raised us up to be moving forward. To look at the people out there that that are crying out for a savior and say, I'm gonna run to them. 75 men. Can you imagine that? 12 hours saving 75 men while enemy combatants are in the field. No. No. He's, he's a skinny dude. But the fact is, is he spent 12 hours looking death in the face and said, I am going to find these men. I can't imagine the, the, the heartbreak on this guy, in this guy that when he's crawling through looking for his men, his fellow soldiers, of the ones that he got to that weren't able to be rescued, that were alive for him to take back. You know, the heartbreak of seeing that in your life. That's, a, that's, a, that's probably a pain that he probably never could get rid of. But he said, God, just give me one more. Just give me one more. Just give me one more. He said that 74 times. And he cried out to God and he said, I need your help to do this. When we cry out to God, he listens to us. The desire of his heart was to find his men. And the desire of our hearts should be to find men and women who need Jesus. Because if, we don't, if that is not our desire, then why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here? Why are we playing church, drinking coffee, eating some dumb mints, throwing money in the bucket? Why are we doing this if that is not our heart's desire? To find men and women who need a Savior and saying, I know somebody who can help you. We are selfish people because we want our own comfort. We want what we want. You know why the church in America throws temper tantrums on the floor when we don't get our 30 minutes of this and our five minutes of this and the message goes over five minutes? Is because we're not a persecuted church. Persecuted church, they memorize things. They know books of the Bible by heart. Because they don't have Bibles. They don't have ways to read them. So when they get a page of it, when they get a moment of it, they memorize it because they need it. And what does it say? Hide your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. When we put it in us, it becomes part of us. But when we just read it and it doesn't become part of us, it just becomes a routine. When we have the compassion of Jesus living in us, we look at everybody that needs a medic. 
Everybody that needs help. Everybody that needs a savior and for someone to come and show them who Jesus is. Think about this. How, a lot of you go to work for eight hours. We go to work for eight hours and we come home and we're like, I'm exhausted. Except for a few of us here. But he crawled through trenches for 12 hours and lowered 200 plus pound men down rope, down a rope, down a, a hill, a cliff. a cliff, and kept going back and said, Jesus, give me one more. God, give me one more. But we're so unwilling to go find one. But Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. So if Jesus is willing to find, leave 99 to go find the one lost, then why are we so unwilling to find one? Because it's inconvenient. I'm just saying right now, as a human being, it is inconvenient to step out of what our comfort area is and what we want to do that. But when we do that, is there not a great reward? Is there not something that just says, I can do this again, and I can do this again, and I can do this again? Matthew 26, verse 36 through 44. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says that in verse 36, it says, Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. And taking with him Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little way farther, he fell on his face and said, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but you will. He did this three times. Most of us don't realize that. Jesus did this three times. He didn't do it once and say, okay. It talks about the third time at the end here. It says, again, the second time he went and prayed and said, not your will, or not my will, but your will be done. And then at the end of 44, he went again again and prayed the third time saying the same words. Jesus, the Son of God, asked his Father three times, can this cup pass from me? Can you take this from me? That's because he knew what he was walking into. He knew the death that he was walking into. He said, if there's a way that we can work this out, if there's a way that we can do this without me having to do this, can we do it? We all have doubt. We all have fear. You know, I was, this was years ago, and I was driving home, and I was on, I don't even know, know what uh, road it is out by McLaren Lake, and there was a house on fire. I just walked into it, not even thinking about it, because I wanted to make sure everybody was okay. I'm not tooting my own horn or anything like that, but I just, I just went in. I didn't even think about it. There's something inside of us when, that when we know there's a value on something, we, it doesn't matter, life or limb, we will go in. I just walked in the house. There was flames everywhere. I walked in the house to make sure there was nobody in there. I, I, and when I got out of there, I was like, what did I just do? So what was it? 
there was like four or five dogs in there that were waiting to get out because they were trapped inside. And as soon as I opened the second door, boom, they just almost knocked me over. But there's something kicked in in me thinking, it was late at night. Are these people home? Are they trapped? Are they? And I just went in. I didn't even think about it. Some guy's standing out. I'm like, what are you doing? Just standing there looking at it. I'm like, we don't know if anybody's home. But something kicked in. Because there's something in us from God that has a preservation for life. And so when we we value people, when we value life, what happens is, is this, we will find a way to help them. You guys ever done that? You're, you have nothing at that moment and you give something to someone because it's like, okay, I don't have really a whole lot, but you give something to them because you know they need it more than you. It's like the widow, two mites. She had nothing, but she still gave it because she knew that God was faithful. She knew that someone else needed it more than her. And I think when we look at his, Desmond Dawes' story, we look at a man who was willing to sacrifice everything who was willing to walk into because he had the love of Christ in him. He knew that there was value in the people that were still out there and there was people who needed him. And in our society, in our culture, there are people who need us because they need Jesus. They're not going to meet Jesus on their own. They need us to introduce them to Jesus. And I, I love this verse because it kind, of, it kind of goes along with what he asked God. And it's Luke 11, it says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and, excuse me, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He asked God, give me one more. Give, let me know what you want me to do. We can ask him that because we have a relationship with him. We can call out to God and say, ask, what do you want me to do? Show me where you want me to go. And do you not think that the Holy Spirit was guiding this man to find 75 people in the middle of the night during all of this going on. One soldier, like the soldier said, because it's like the hand of God was on his shoulder. Because he was willing to lay down something. We have to be willing to lay down something for God to use. We have to give it to him, lay it on the altar of, of uh, lay it on his altar and say, God, you can use this. You can take this part of me. Use it for how you, want, how you want to use it. Do with it what you want to do. But we don't. We're like, God, use me. And then when he asks you to do something, you're like, oh, I can't lay that down. It's just too rough. It's too, it's too hard. And I'm just too comfortable in this moment. You know, like Sarah and I were married. This is like two years in our marriage. He asked us to give $100. And we're like, we don't even have food in the house right now. We're like, this is going to be our food for the next month. And he asked us to give it, and we're like, God, it, it, we're like, we don't have any more. Like, literally, we're like, we're like, look, we got money. You know, we're like, we're like, protect it. You know, it's like the precious, you know. Um, but it was like, God asked us to do it. And it was, we're like, we're sitting there, and we're like, God's asking us to both do this. And we looked at each other and said, this is the right thing to do. And it was like, but God, you got to take care of this. God, you've got to, and we, we gave that, and it was like, it was like I don't know what, what we're going to do, but God showed up. And when we give out of, God showed this to me. 
You know, we talk about these rich people and they give, oh, well, they just gave a half a million dollars. Well, when they have $4 billion, a half a million dollars is like pocket change. Giving and sacrificing are two different things. When God asks you to give, it's not going to be like, oh, is that a comfortable give for you? He he doesn't tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, I I really want you to give something, but as long as it's comfortable and, you know, just give give within that limit that's comfortable for you so you can do whatever else you want to do with your money. God's not sarcastic like that. Sorry, I'm, I'm just, I might have translated it a little sarcastically, but he doesn't, he doesn't talk to you like that. He doesn't tap you on the shoulder and like, I want you to give $100, but if you don't really want to give $100, just give 10 because, you know, I just, you know no. He, when he asks you to sacrifice, he's going to ask you to sacrifice. When he asks you to give up something in your life, he's going to ask you to give up something substantial. It's not, well, you know, I couldn't go out to eat this week, so, or this one day, so I gave that up for God. No, no, no. God saved you the cholesterol and the, and, and the high fructose corn syrup. No, he did, it's not that way. It is uncomfortable when God asks you to sacrifice. He, gave, he ran in life and limb to save people, but we can't, oh, oh, God, I don't know. You asked me to give more, $2 more than what I normally give. Oh, I can't do that. Because that's like, you know, that's like half a coffee. That's why they call them the greatest generation, because they gave up everything. They gave up their lives, their families, everything they had. A lot of these guys came back to nothing. But God asked us, when he asked us to give something, it's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to be tough sometimes. We may go through a momentary or a short period of pain to give up something for him. I know because we've done it and it's painful sometimes. We've given up things in our lives and it's like, you know, you look back, it's like, was it worth it? And then we're saying, yeah, it was worth it. Absolutely, I'd do it all over again. I'd lay it down on the altar and I'd burn it. I, but when he asked us to give, don't say, oh, God, what's, well, can, can I give a little more comfortable? I want to give something a little more comfortable. You know, I want to do this. He, if he asks you to give up something in your life, don't negotiate with him. God's not in the business of negotiation. When he asks something, what do we do? It's like when we tell our kids, we train our kids, when we ask them to do something, they do that. Could you please go take out the garbage? Okay. Older generations, when your parents asked you to take out the garbage, what did you say? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I learned that too. When you, when you do something, you say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I get told at work, you don't have to say ma'am. You don't have to say sir. I said, that's part of me. That's what I do. I say it to my wife. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> But they're like, why do you say that? Because my father was taught that by his father, and I was taught that by my father, that you you do that. But God does not negotiate with us. He will not negotiate with you. If you're negotiating, he's not in the other side negotiating. It's a 50% negotiation. You're not doing anything. He's just like, I asked you to do this. This is what I expect of you. So quit trying to, well, God, you know, uh, you know, when your kids are in trouble and they're trying to negotiate out of a, a, a butt whooping or being grounded and they're like, you know, oh, no, no, just give me a minute. No, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. This comes from experience. Um, <laughs> me and my children. Um, 
Yeah. Just negotiate with my dad. Please don't give me a spanking. I'm sorry. You, you know, I'll be back in five minutes. You're like trying to put on every pair of pants you have. And God doesn't negotiate that way. God says, I want you to do this. If you asked, if you said you're going to lay your life down for me, if you're going to surrender your life to me, he says, I want you to do this. And this is what he expects. We're like, well, you know, I'll just do part of it this week. And when I have a little more time or money or whatever, I'll do the rest of it whenever I get around to it. He's like, no, sacrifice is hard. Look up the word sacrifice. Nothing says flowers, sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, uh, easy, um, fun, anything like that. Nothing, none of those words or terms are in the definition for sacrifice, especially unicorns. Sorry for those who, but he says, if you give your life to me, I will give my life to you. It, it's, we don't negotiate with God, but giving our lives to him, it's reciprocal because he gives us his life. Because he took pain for us. He took sickness for us. He took death for us. And he says, when you give up your life for me, when you, when you lay your life down for me, I will take what I have laid down and I will give it back to you. Are we willing to love people and keep praying, God, give me one more. Give me one more chance. Give me one more person. Give me one more opportunity. Give me one more life that I can speak into. Let's pray.